Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Jordan Alvarez, walk-off home run, first game of the postseason. Game-winning home run, game two of the postseason. Five for 42 cents. The bases loaded, nobody out. At bare minimum, you've got to keep the game tied. Obviously, the best case scenario is you go back in the inning up 1-0. On a 2-1, Alvarez hits a high drive center field. Veerling's back. This game is turned upside down. A titanic drive for the ages over the batter's eye in center field. And Jordan Alvarez has given the Astros a 3-1 lead in the sixth inning. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. My name is Mike Petriello. I'm a writer and researcher at MLB.com. Joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is November 10th. It is a Thursday. And it is our first podcast of the postseason. We actually haven't spoken since the World Series ended, so obviously we'll do a bit of brief wrap-up there. But there is no waiting for the offseason, I think in part because the season ended so late. The offseason felt like it got going immediately, so there's no time off. There's already a bunch of stuff going on. We're obviously going to get into that. We're going to get into some interesting comments about Shohei Otani and Corbin Burns and a whole bunch of other stuff. But first, Matt, the World Series is over. And obviously, the very first thing I want to talk about is if you go back to our World Series preview show, I said Astros and Six. Pretty pleased with myself there. The, I, I can't say... I thought they would go down 2-1 and then storm back to win three in a row, which is, I guess, uh, what happened. But they seemed like the best team all along, and I feel like you can simultaneously say enormous credit to the Phillies for making it a good, interesting series and getting as far as they did, but also the best team won. Is that fair? That's fair. There would have been a lot of takes if the Phillies had won about, oh, New playoff format, the team with like the worst record got to the one the World Series. What does this say? So like it was good that I think after all that, it ended up with arguably the best team winning, if not the one that was in the conversation with the Dodgers. And, you know, I think uh, we ended up on a good note. Yeah, we're going to be seeing that Jordan Alvarez 450 foot dead center blast for the rest of time. I know people were saying that's, oh, I've never seen one hit there. No one's hit it over the batter's eye. That's, that's not true. We, I, I was able to find some examples. Joey Gallo did it once. I think Lance Berkman may have done it a bunch of years ago, though I couldn't find video to support it. Uh, I, I don't want to like delve too deeply back into the World Series here, but I did need your opinion on one notable moment. Game six, four win, uh, Astros win 4-1. All the runs were in the sixth inning. So Kyle Schwarber hits a solo home run. Phillies are up one nothing. And then Zach Wheeler gets removed, you know, in the middle of, quote unquote, dealing a shutout for Jose Alvarado. And then what happened? And then everything went to hell. And 
I don't know. I, there are a lot of parallels to be drawn with the Blake Snell to move in the 2020 World Series. And I don't know if I'm just jaded about these things, but my reaction was, yeah, I could see it either way. I, th- I think either choice was defensible there. Leave Wheeler in. Don't leave Wheeler in. I could totally see it. And it didn't end well. But also leaving Wheeler in might not have ended well. That's that's the part people forget. I, I did not have a hot take on this, shockingly. This was not a gritty little leaving in Pedro Martinez for like <laughs> no. uh, six, six extra batters. Or Dusty Baker leaving in Justin Verlander for way too many batters in like game one. It was, I agree with you. Um, I I sort of assumed that Thompson would go to Alvarado in that spot, so I was not surprised at all. It's kind of he's managed pretty aggressively in all postseason, and it's generally worked. Sometimes it's not. The other guys are good too, um, and sometimes these moves aren't going to work. You're just you're just playing the percentages, right? Like so, he thought he had this is a better matchup. He was playing what he thought were the percentages in his favor. It did not work, but it was certainly not an egregious decision. No, it's funny. You can't talk around the fact that Jose Alvarado did not get the job done because he didn't. But also, Jordan Alvarez turned around a 99-mile-an-hour lefty-on-lefty two-seamer. And I feel like we should give Alvarez a little bit of credit for being like a top-three hitter in baseball. What's interesting is what's next, I think, for these two teams. If you look at the Astros roster, they don't have a ton of prominent free agents who are going to leave. Like Justin Verlander opted out, but he might come back. And then it's like complementary pieces. Here's their prominent free agents. Verlander, Rafael Montero, uh, Michael Brantley, who barely played at all this year, Christian Vasquez and Trey Mancini, who were in-season acquisitions. And that's it. Dot, dot, dot. Whatever's happening with their general manager, Dusty Baker's coming back. We still don't know if James Click is coming back. Um, we should note that that could change at any minute. They could have an announcement today. I, I don't know. The whole thing is just so weird because he reportedly got offered a one-year contract. And I'm thinking to myself, guy just won a World Series. Like, What do you have to do to get a multi-year contract? And I, I don't know. You should be celebrating this great year. And this is what we're talking about. And I just can't. Think of another comparable situation like this. It's very strange. I saw Peter Gammon a few weeks ago throw out like a, ooh, maybe David's, this is David Stern's eventual spot. Everyone's speculating the Mets, but maybe it's the Astros. That's where he came up. Um, and so maybe that's what Jim Crane is thinking. But it's hard to say, you know, James Click has done a bad job considering, yes, there was the infrastructure was very much in place of a fantastic organization, but it's just kept humming along. And even if, Justin Verlander leaves. I actually think this, I mean, this is what interests me about the the Astros this offseason is like, even if Justin Verlander leaves, they still have a dominant pitching staff. And I actually could see a world in which they say like, you know what? We're trying to maintain a budget of X. We're going to let Justin Verlander walk and we're going to go spend 20 or 30 million on some hitters because we actually could really use some hitters. We don't really need any more pitching. Yeah, they, no, they, they felt one bat short in the World Series, which again, they won. They won the World Series, but they felt a bat short. And I don't know if that's a catcher or first base or in the outfield somewhere. And, you know, we'll have a whole winter to get into who fits where. But you're right. They should have money to spend, whether Verlander comes back or not. And if you add another bat to that pitching staff, the team that just won the World Series might be as good or better. Sorry, the rest of the American League West. Phillies are in an interesting spot, too, because it's like, they spent a ton of money to get where they were, and they didn't have a great regular season team, and obviously they made some moves in the middle. And it, I think people are going to say, well, okay, they were the best team in the National League because they got to the World Series, so we're going to project them as being the best team in the National League for 2023, which I don't I don't see it that way. I'm still not sure they're better than the Mets or the Braves, 
but they have a lot of moves to make. Uh, they've already declined Gene Segura's option. They've picked up Aaron Nola's option. Dave Dombrowski said to Todd Zalecki, quote, we have complete flexibility to do whatever we like. <laughs> so that's how I would answer that question. He was asked about, you know, payroll. And he said, we'll just see what happens. And they seem like an absolutely perfect spot for one of the big four free agent shortstops, right? You got Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, uh, Dansby Swanson, Xander Bogarts, because they're sort of like the Astros. They're not losing anybody notable. Segura, maybe, but then it's like a couple of veteran pitchers, Syndergaard, Gibson, Zach Eflin, David Robertson, like nobody earth shattering there. I feel like they need another starting pitcher. They need a middle infield bat. And I'm I'm struggling to find teams, maybe like the Cubs or one of the teams losing one of these big fours, but where there's like a better spot to go out and spend on, let's say, Trey Turner. Totally. I think it's once they once they turn down the um the uh decline the option on Gene Segura for 17 million, which you know, a lot of teams, you know, when they win a World Series will kind of be excited about the vibes they have and be like, oh, this team's great. We don't need to change a thing. So I thought it was pretty notable. They Turn down the option on Segura, knowing that, hey, we can move Bryson Stott to second base and open up a spot for one of these shortstops. I think it's, I don't want to say it's a guarantee, but I think it's pretty likely they sign one of those guys. Turner has said he wants to be on the East Coast, wants to be with a team that trains in Florida. Check, check. Like, it seems like a pretty a pretty obvious fit. The only thing I could see from their, their standpoint is that, like, they're so heavily invested in position players you know, Aaron Nola is a free agent after next year. They just picked up his option. He's coming off like a pretty moderate, you know, what one would call a club-friendly deal he signed early, you know, years before arbitration. He's obviously going to command a very big contract. So I don't know if they want to if they want to diversify their portfolio, so to speak, and not be so invested in um in position players. Cause I mean, the flip side for the Phillies is yes, they won with free agents. They haven't really done a great job on the player development side. I guess they've developed a couple of pretty good position players, but they were all pretty high draft picks like Bohm and Bryson Stott. So it's not like, you know, those guys aren't really stars, but they're solid. I think um, Turner has walked that back a little bit about not wanting to play on the West Coast. And I can't tell if that's because, you know, he spent the last year in L.A. and he enjoyed his time or if his agent just isn't a fool and you never want to eliminate the Dodgers or the Giants. Or the Padres. I guess in this case, the Padres, they, but... Um, yeah, but I, I, it's a very, very good point. I think you know, one question I have for you is, you, know, you look at the Phillies, and I, to me, I look at the Phillies, and you know, like, the, you know, you could say, hey, they spent well in free agency and made it to the World Series with 87 wins. Shouldn't this be a lesson to a lot of teams out there? Like, hey, you know what? Like, especially in teams like the AL Central, where it's like, maybe I could sign a couple of free agents and get to 85 wins, make the playoffs, and who knows. And it's not necessarily like curtailing any other rebuilding plans. Like, like you don't need to, there used to be a time where you needed to build like a 95 win team. Clearly that's not the case anymore. I don't know the answer to that yet. I think we'll see. And the reason for that is I agree with everything you said, but the counterbalance to that is if you're the Dodgers and right now you're probably already a 96 win team, does this mean you don't really need to bother to continue to add, you know, to be that like great, great team after what happened? I'm not, I'm not sure you won't see like both sides of this happening. True, but I mean, you look at the the Phillies are in this division. It already has the Mets and the Braves, two teams that had either you know either great infrastructure and or lots of spending or both, kind of in the Braves' case now. And they still were like, you know, we can still make the playoffs. We're going to try and keep winning and and pay free agents, even if they didn't have the same kind of like infrastructure of homegrown players. It seems like I don't know. 
as long as you're not doing anything to hurt the development of guys in your, like, why not try and win 85 games? You know, I, I am looking forward to a whole winter of us brainstorming what bats the Cleveland Guardians should sign and then having them sign absolutely none of them. Because <laughs> that's always what, I mean, they'll trade for someone probably, but like, sign a bat, come on. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, the flip side of this, is I guess the Twins have kind of tried this and it didn't really work last year. Um, but it's not like it set, it didn't set the organization back in any way. Like what's setting the organization back is the fact that Brian Bruxton can't stay on the field and some of their hitting prospects haven't really developed as they hoped. Not like, oh, we happened to try and sign a couple free agents and it didn't really pan out. Well, they have no pitching. I mean, that's their problem. They went into last season with no pitching and never really developed pitching. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast and we will get into the offseason. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast because the World Series ended kind of late, because there is an early spring training for the World Baseball Classic. We have kind of a short winter. The first spring training game is in 106 days. Obviously, pitchers and catchers report before that. There's the World Baseball Classic. Today, as I said, is Thursday, November 10th. Uh, free agents can sign as early as today at 5 p.m. Eastern. This isn't the NBA. That never actually happens, but it could. It is possible that Aaron Judge could sign four hours from now. I wouldn't hold your breath on it, though. There have been a couple of moves already. Uh, we kind of want to get into like real off-season mode here. I don't think anybody is that interested in Texas trading for Jake Odorizzi, so we're not going to dive into that. I just wanted to note it, though, because... The Braves sent $10 million of his contract, so they get a back-end starter, Texas does, for the price of $2.5 million, and, Co and Colby Allard, which is like a pretty good deal for them. There were two moves, I think, of note. Obviously, there's a big one. The Mets have retained Edwin Diaz, and then there's a really interesting Braves trade I do want to talk about. So, Matt, five years, $102 million for Edwin Diaz, easily the richest reliever contract in baseball history. And I think a lot of people are kind of stuck in the middle between wow, that's a lot of money for a guy who throws like 65 innings a year. And on the other hand, uh, Steve Cohen has all of the money in the entire world and maybe they should do that. And like, obviously he's a great reliever, but I kind of want to start with what I didn't realize until this morning. You're more of a Mets observer than I am. So maybe you already knew this. Did you know the entire Mets bullpen, like all of it is going to free agency? Diaz was a free agent, Adam Adovino, Seth Lugo, uh, Jolie Rodriguez, Trevor May, Michael Givens. And when I looked at the Fangraphs depth chart today, I swear these are all real names I'm going to read aside from Diaz. Here's what they have for the Mets bullpen in 2023. Drew Smith, Bryce Montas de Oca, Steven Nagosek, Yuan Lopez, and like eight more names you've never heard of, so I'm not going to read it. 
And when I look at it that way, uh, and as we'll get to in a minute too, the reliever market's pretty weak. Did they overpay for him based on the history of relievers? Eh, probably. Can you replace an Edwin Diaz? And did the Mets have literally a reliever you trust? No. Give him $500 million. <laughs> you cannot let him walk away. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking at it from kind of a, a war per dollar standpoint, relievers, especially the high-end relievers, never really seem like good, good, good investments, so to speak. But I think there's a lot of factors that sort of work in Diaz's favor in this case, one of which is the Mets' lack of other options. Um, the fact that he's pretty young still, I think, you know, relative to other relievers um, that hit free agency. You know, I've seen some people compare it to, I mean, the oldest Chapman deal with the Yankees ended badly, but like that was the previous high for a reliever contract. I don't think like it was like a disaster all the way through. Same with Kenley Jansen with the Dodgers, which are the other similar contracts, I guess, that would, that would be comparable to this. Um, and then there's also just kind of like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, there's also like a ton of soft factors involved of just like trumpets, vibes, fan favorite, like this whole thing that he, this whole thing he created, he's like part of the identity of the team. And it's hard to know. It kind of goes back to like, if it's not preventing them from doing other things, like, I don't know, who am I to tell Steve Cohen how to spend his money? Someone, here's the thing is someone was going to give him something in this range. Um, and that's sort of the other thing that's hard to wrap your head around where you could, it's easy to be like, oh, like that's way too much money. It's like, well, someone was going to pay him and he's probably going to be a pretty good reliever for a few years. Obviously there's always the, the, the injury risk at play with any pitcher, um, or any reliever who throws really hard, but he's pretty good. So it's, it's hard to, uh, it's, it's hard to really kind of give like a, a, a scorching take on this one. Not only is he the best reliever available, obviously, because he might be the best reliever in baseball. Uh, he's young. Like a lot of this is about age. So he doesn't even turn 29 until early next year. And if you look at the relievers available and you take note of their 2023 ages, pretty much every half decent reliever you can find on the free agent market this year is between 32 and 38. Like there is not a single guy who's under 30 as Diaz is. And even though I don't think you should look at him going forward as a a true talent 131 ERA guy. Like it's a little bit of an unreasonable expectation. Um, he didn't like fluke into this year. It wasn't a lucky year, quote unquote. His FIP, his fielding independent pitching, was 0.9. So he actually he actually maybe should have deserved more than that. You know, his stack cast expected ERA was 1.69. But um, when you have a 50% strikeout rate, when you've had one of the all-time great years in the history of baseball and no real risk factors that I can see aside from just being a pitcher and being a pitcher is risky. It's not like he's got some long history of arm injuries. Um, like they spent a lot, but you, you know, they had to like, you're right. If they didn't do it, somebody else would. Um, another move I wanted to talk about, even though it's not even on the same planet as Edwin Diaz, just because I think it's interesting. The Braves traded for outfielder Sam Hilliard. Now who you're asking, who is Sam Hilliard and why should I care? For the most part, you shouldn't. Uh, he, was a Rockies outfielder who, in parts of the last four seasons, hit 212, 294, 423. You're bored already. I get it. He's out of options and he was termed a roster clearing move, but huge tools, right? Last year, 97th percentile in maximum exit velocity, 85th in speed, 90th in arm strength. And I know, you know, contact issues are fine, but I don't really trust the Rockies to develop hitters at all. We know the Coors Field effect is a big deal. That hurts their, their players on the road. And I just think, you know, you get him as a fourth outfielder on a good team with the Braves. you got these loud tools. I wouldn't be shocked if we're talking about him like we talked about, I don't know, like when Mike Talkman went to the Yankees, 
that had a really good year. Like we've seen this story before. Like I, I don't want to make too much of this. I just want to get it on the record that when he's having like a shockingly good two and a half worst season in 2024, that we did talk about it. You don't even have to reply. I don't know if you have any hot Sam Hilliard takes. We need like a drinking game whenever you reference Mike Talkman. He's like your go-to like, uh, <laughs> hey guy, I discovered before he had a really nice year, I guess with, with the Yankees. And they well, just... They just yeah, no, I discovered him after. I tried to reverse engineer it after that. Oh, that's what um, it was. But yeah, I mean, listen, hey, I love it for the Braves. They gave up an, a 24-year-old A-ball reliever who, not that I'm like scouting ERAs and A-ball, had like a 540 ERA last year. Maybe he'll turn into something. I'm not. I'm not going to scout ERAs and A-ball, but I'm going to scout ERAs and A-ball. Well, I mean, listen, he's going to go to he's going to go to a organization that does not have a great reputation for developing pitchers and plays on the moon. I'm sorry to say that's probably the last time we will ever talk about. Uh, I don't even think we said his name because I already forgot what his name is. It is Dylan Spain. Now we've mentioned Dylan Spain. And the last thing I want to talk about with the free agent market here is there's some real interesting positions of strength and weakness, like depending on what you need. It's not just about evaluating the player. It's also about evaluating the options. For example, there's four really good, like superstar level shortstops. You know, everybody knows the names, you know, Bogarts, Turner, Swanson, and Correa. And then beyond that, there's a couple of like decent place fillers. Like Jose Iglesias isn't bad. Uh, Elvis Andrews had a really nice like rebound with the White Sox. If you need a shortstop, you, you can get a shortstop. Starting pitcher is uh, like deep, but maybe not like, you know, talented in that way. Like you got the big three. DeGrom, Verlander, Carlos Rodon. If you're the Dodgers or the Rangers, you've also got Kershaw because nobody thinks he's signing with like the Twins. You've got like a dozen or so mid-rotation guys here like, you know, Tyone and Valdi and Chris Bassett and Taiwan Walker. And then just like a thousand different back-end guys. You know, Michael Walker, Noah Syndergaard, on and on and on. Um, if you want a third baseman, so here's the thing. At the time we're recording this, uh, option decisions have not yet been made. We don't know if the Dodgers will take up Justin Turner on his option or not. But if they don't, <laughs> third base is a nightmare if you want a free agent. Justin Turner, as much as I love him, is 38 years old. Do you know who the next best free agent third baseman is? Assuming they decline his option. Evan Longoria. Brandon Drury? Those guys do anything for you? Brandon Drury has now had two straight very good years. Um, he he might be, he might be the best third baseman out there. You think he's better than like Turner? I mean, how old? Is, I mean, he's younger. He's like yeah. I mean, he's more like a multi-positional guy. I got to think about it. I got to say, he's thirty. He's gonna he's gonna be playing in his age. He's he's thirty years old. If it was one year, if it was just like the one year, I'd say no question. Turner's better, but this is now two straight years that turn that Drury's been like a pretty good pretty good player so i i am unconvinced you know the, the other spot that's going to be really hard so you have one big star in center field that's brandon nimmo you have one big star in right field that's aaron judge and then what do you know who the second best center fielder is right now kevin kiermeyer and i love kevin kiermeyer but he hasn't hit in a while he's been injured a lot um i will i will push the rockies should sign kevin kiermeyer narrative all season long just because i know he can't hit that well and i know they need bats but they have never had an elite defensive center fielder not one year in their history have they had a guy like kiermeyer in center field in cores and i want to see that now maybe in a couple weeks cody bellinger gets non-tendered uh but if you don't get nimmo and you don't like kiermeyer you do not have a center fielder similar in right if you don't get judge you could bet on michael conforto coming back myers will myers mitch hanniger i mean Outfield is a really, really thin position. So I, I think like you're going to see a lot of free agent signings of starting pitchers. Obviously, you've got the shortstops. 
you're going to have to trade for an outfielder if you don't get Nimmo or Judge. Yeah, no question. I, I think Kiermaier is one of the more interesting names out there. Um, he's obviously had some injury issues in his own right, but like, I still buy the defense. And I think so. I kind of feel like based on where his, his perception is now, someone is going to be very happy bringing in Kevin Kiermaier next year. Just that, this is one of my just kind of hunches. I, I'm prepared to be wrong, as I always am with my hunches. But uh, looking at the landscape of the outfielders who are available— I feel like he's someone who's going to someone's going to be very happy with. I obviously, as I said, the Rockies. I could also see the Blue Jays because I think they want to move George Springer to a corner, and they could use a lefty bat. So I think that makes a lot of sense. All right, uh, our second topic: Would the Brewers really trade Corbin Burns? I was shocked to see this, and it's come up from a, a number of writers. Like Mark Feinstein said it, Ken Rosenthal said it, I saw Jeff Passan said it that the Brewers might consider trading Corbin Burns, the 2021 Cy Young Award winner, this winter. Uh, he is arbitration eligible for the next two seasons, and then he's a free agent. Interestingly, like their entire rotation is on that same timeline. Brent Woodruff, Eric Lauer, Adrian Hauser. So they kind of got to start signing guys or letting them walk or figuring out what the future of their rotation looks like. And if you want to put Corbin Burns on the market, I mean, he is just, I don't know, a top six starting pitcher in baseball, in my opinion. I don't know if that's too much, but you look at the other guys on the market, like DeGrom's great, but I don't know how much I trust him to stay healthy. Uh, Verlander's great, but he's 40 years old. I like Rodon. I would probably take Burns over Rodon. If you can put him on the market and you've got big spending teams with lots of prospects who desperately need some rotation help, like let's say the Dodgers or the Mets, or pretty much anybody who's not Houston, uh, the Brewers could really clean up. And I almost feel like they kind of need to make up for what seems now like a mistake with the Josh Hader trade. You know, like they didn't do that well there. Um, I'm not convinced they'll actually do this, but man, they could do incredibly well if they did. Yeah. And I think that, the, you know, a team like the Brewers, I mean, you know, Corbin Burns's don't grow on trees to be clear, but they've shown a very good ability to develop pitching. And I could see them being like, you know, we're confident in our <laughs> ability to develop pitchers and we'll be able to build out some depth. Hitting has not been uh, as uh, fruitful for them. Um, obviously, like the whole Christian Yelich just kind of declining is, is kind of a separate thing. But even some, you know, guys like Keston Hiero who are, who are kind of be like, oh, this is going to be like an impact back that we got, have just have not really materialized. So I could see them saying, you know what, like this might be our best chance. We're not, you know, we don't think we're going to go spend, you know, $250 million on a shortstop. We really need some bats. This could be our opportunity to really add some offensive punch, what knowing that we can probably figure out ways to backfill um, on Burns. I mean, the other question is whether or not they would try and trade Yelich, but I'm, I, I'm pretty sure he probably has some sort of no trade clause if they would try and get a team to, to to take him as part of this. But I think that more likely than not, they'd be using it as a as a mechanism to like add an impact, a couple of young impact hitters. I think his whole contract is a no-trade cross right now, the way that's gone over the last couple of years. I don't actually think they're going to trade Corbin Burns. I think maybe one of the other guys, but uh, they have a new general manager now, not new to the organization, but Matt Arnold is new to the role. And I just don't think that he's going to come in and tear it down. I think that division remains very weak. I think it's still winnable. I think if you add some bats uh, to what remains a very good pitching staff, even without you know Josh Hader, they can still contend like his soon as next year. So I don't actually think they'll trade him. I look forward to being proven wrong on this, but since it came up, I felt like we should talk about this. Speaking of players who people claim won't be traded that I do not believe for even one single second, here's our third topic. The Angels are claiming they won't trade Shohei Otani. So here's what their general manager, Perry Menezian, said uh, recently, and I quote, he's such a special player, 
We're not moving him. Otani is not getting moved. He's going to be here. He'll be with us to start the season. Good for him. I don't believe it even for a single second. I'm not saying he will get traded. I'm saying that this statement means absolutely nothing to me. You may remember last summer when Mike Rizzo said, no, we're not going to trade Juan Soto, dot, dot, dot. Two months later, Juan Soto gets traded. Like These statements come out all the time. They're not binding. What else would you expect him to say? Or is he going to come out and say, oh, yeah, the team stinks. We're definitely going to trade. Of course not. Like, of course not. He has to say it. It doesn't matter. I still think that they will explore trading him. Totally agree. I mean, I guess what he could say is we have no plans to trade Joey Otani. But then if he says that, everyone will be like, well, he's clearly trading Joey Otani. <laughs> Did you see there, there was this art interview? Um, I think it was with like a Japanese magazine or something from recently where Shohei Otani was like, yeah, the best time to trade me would have been last uh, trade deadline. That's when they would have gotten the most value. It reminds me of like Zach Greinke when he was with the Dodgers, like talking to AJ Ellis. And he's like, yeah, I would have traded you like two years ago. I don't know what you're still doing here. And like, not in a mean way, just like an open, this is how I feel way. I, I, I still don't think they will trade him. But I think if you wait until the trade deadline, like obviously you're costing yourself value, then you have more teams who are out of it won't be interested. And I guess the, the big elephant in the room here is that the Angels are for sale. I don't know the status of that or how far along that process is. But if, if you think that sale is going to get done this winter and I'm the incoming owners, I might say, hey, I don't want my first thing to be losing Shohei Otani. That's a terrible way to introduce myself to the fan base. So you need to do it and have it under your name, not my name. And that might push things along. I, I just, I don't, I don't think they're going to contend next year. I don't see a way where they do that. He seems to really want to win beyond all other things. And as much as I hate saying the best way to do that is to not have Shohei Otani, I just, I don't know what they, what they're going to do. They, they're not going to like build a contender in one winter. They haven't done it in a decade. Yeah, it's. Um, I, mean, I know this kind of contradicts what I was saying before about the Phillies and hey, you just add a couple free agents, you too can win eighty five games. The infrastructure of the Angels is such that like it's even hard to have. You need to have some base level of like okay, we are we feel confident we are a essentially an eighty win team, and then hey, let's go add a couple guys and we should be an you know an eighty five to ninety win team. Like they they have no reason to believe that that that, that that's their reasonable. Sort of, I don't want to say floor their reasonable baseline, right? They they just don't. They haven't proven that that, that can be the case, even with having Otani and Trout on the roster. I mean, is there a world in which Otani, Trout, and Anthony Rendon, remember him? He's still on that team. Come out next year and are all the best versions of themselves and all manage to stay healthy and play 140 plus games. It's possible. It, there's just no recent track record to suggest that that's going to happen. Not to mention the fact that they don't really have any other pitchers. And their farm system is still not very good and hasn't been good for a while. The Otani thing is going to, it's going to loom over the entire offseason. Um, and it's interesting. I agree. Like, I think teams are going to keep calling. They're going to keep calling. They're smart to at least wait to see how the market plays out a little bit. Because if there's, you know, depending on what some of these shortstop signed for and DeGrom signs for and Rodon signs for, like trading for Otani plus getting his, as a pitcher, plus getting his bat might suddenly seem like, cost effective, you know, but it's also like, will he sign an extension? There's just so many different variables at play that this, this conversation, no matter what Perry Manazian says is not going anywhere because people are going to still keep calling me. Hey, have you changed your mind yet? Can we talk Otani? So it, it's not going away. We'll probably talk about it 
on basically every podcast episode for the entire offseason. Can't wait. I, I thought it was a little telling what they did with their manager. Uh, so Joe Madden got fired last year. Phil Nevin came in, you know, kind of around the same time that the uh, Phillies did the same thing with Joe Girardi, except the Phillies skyrocketed up and the Angels didn't. They didn't really play any better. Uh, and what I'm about to say, I mean, no disrespect to Phil Nevin, who's like highly regarded, but there wasn't a ton that happened under his leadership that made it clear that he had to be the guy going forward. And then they quietly just brought him back for one year which sort of said to me, the ownership thing is going to be weird. We're not trying to make any major moves. Like We're not trying to you know, get a big name manager on a larger contract right now just because we might have a new owner soon. Like it's, it's such a weird situation for like five different reasons. And I guess, I guess I think the most likely thing is he will be there on opening day because I don't think the ownership transfer will be complete by then. And then they'll trade him in July, which I I guess, but man, you could do better if you trade him right now. You know, more teams, more uh, a full season. I, I think it's a mistake. I, I hate I hate saying trading or not trading Otani is a mistake. Like I, it hurts my soul to say that, but I think it's a mistake. I agree because I like to see players sort of like kind of can, can connect with teams and stay with teams and build that. But this is a case where it doesn't feel like that's actually happening or has any chance of happening with Otani there, in which case actually kind of, part of me wants him to, like, I agree with you in theory, but part of me wants to see Otani traded because I want to see Otani in the postseason. I want to see Otani yes. in meaningful September games, and it doesn't feel like it's going to happen in September. I've felt for a couple months that, like, the Mets were the most likely destination, and I'll put a little caveat on that. I think if DeGrom leaves and signs elsewhere, the odds of Otani ending up on the Mets increase significantly. I could see it. I think I uh, I came up with a list for an article that's going to go up over the weekend, and my top teams were, in some order, Mets, uh, Cardinals, yeah, Blue Jays, and Yankees. I think is where I landed. Maybe the Braves too. But I think I think assuming they wouldn't trade him to the Dodgers, I think that's safe to say. And then if you do trade him, then you what do you say to Mike Trout? Like the whole thing is just like a whole disaster. We'll have a whole winter to talk about that. We'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the upcoming awards next week. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers as we shift into off-season mode. Next week, starting on Monday, all of the awards will come out, the big awards. So Monday, it's the Rookie of the Year. Tuesday, Manager of the Year. Wednesday, Cy Young. And then Thursday, November 17th, the MVP Awards. Those awards will be announced every day at 6 p.m. Eastern on MLB Network. I think a couple of them are pretty easy to guess what's going to happen. We already know the finalists, by the way. So we'll go through each of them. I think some are pretty clear, some are confusing, and some are the Managers of the Year awards, which I guess we're obligated to talk about. Um, on Monday, uh, the Jackie Robinson Rookie of the Year award. Here's your finalists. The American League, Adley Rutschman, Julio Rodriguez, Stephen Kwan, National League, Spencer Strider, Michael Harris II, Brendan Donovan. I think we can pretty easily guess who's going to finish third in both of those races. Congratulations to Stephen Kwan, you're going to finish third. Congratulations to Brendan Donovan, you're going to finish third. In the American League, it's between Rutschman and Rodriguez. I think, I should say, I did not vote for any of these. Matt did not vote for any of these. If I had, I probably would have voted for Adley Rutschman, but he's not going to win. I think it's going to be Julio Rodriguez. Agree or disagree? I think there's a case for Rutschman. I think it could be unanimous for Rodriguez. Um, wow. Why? Because he played the full season. And the counting stats will be a lot. I, I think I think Rutschman will get three first place votes. 
I mean, it, I mean, listen, just from a mathematical point of view, it's almost always safe to take the field and not not say it's going to be unanimous because all you need is one person to do yeah. it. Uh, but we agree it's going to be Rodriguez. In the National League, uh, I think we can agree perfectly it will be a member of the Atlanta Braves. That's that's the scorching take to put it. Um, Michael Harris had a great year. Spencer Strider also had a great year. I think, I think I would pick and also I think will win is Spencer Strider. Because as good as Harris was, right, he came up and he galvanized the team and great defense and timely hitting. Spencer Strider was just straight up dominant. And I should clarify, the, the votes were due before the end of the regular season. So what I'm about to say doesn't matter in the voting. But when Spencer Strider wasn't really available and at his best in the postseason, you saw what happened. Like you saw how big of a deal that was. And I'm I'm more interested in a pitcher who came up and looked like he could be a Cy Young winner next year than an above average center fielder. To be clear, there's no wrong answers here. I think I'm on Team Strider on this one. I, I would have said that until Strider got hurt. He missed like the last two weeks of the season. I think that the fact that he was out might, as you said, like in like in the final thing, it thought people's minds might be, hey, this guy was hurt. He was unavailable. Granted, they, it didn't matter. The Braves still won the division um, without him down the stretch. But I think that that could hurt him um, in the end. I really don't have a hot take here. Like I, this is like a total coin. This is like a total coin flip for me. Speaking of total coin flips, the managers of the year will come out on November 15th. And it sounds, if it sounds like I'm deriding this award, I 100% am because there's just no good way to vote for it. Uh, I know people were upset that Rob Thompson didn't make it, but again, votes were due at the end of the regular season. And at the end of the regular season, he was managing a sixth place team that had sort of backed into the playoffs. Now, if they put the votes in after the postseason, I'm sure he would have done better, but he didn't. So here we are. American League, uh, Terry Francona, Brandon Hyde, Scott Service. Again, there is no good way to evaluate a manager. Uh, you could argue that what the, the Orioles did should make Hyde the favorite because they had, what, like 30-something more wins. Here's my problem with that. Did he do a good job? Sure, probably. Did he go from being the worst manager in baseball to one of the best over the course of one winter? How much blame am I putting on him for like a double A roster that he had the year before that lost 105,000 games? Like, I'm sure he did a good job. How much of it is because of him or because like Felix Bautista came up and started looking like the second best reliever in baseball? I hate this award so much. What's really interesting about this in the American League specifically is that the same the three teams represented in Rookie of the Year are the same three teams represented <laughs> in Manager great. of the Year. And I think that goes to show you that, hey, you know what? You add, like, really good young players, it makes your team look a lot better. Like, basically, these guys were added out of, like, thin air. It's like, oh, rookies brought up. Oh, wow, suddenly we're a lot better. I, I think um, Francona is, like, the, the highest respected of the three. No disrespect to the others. But I think he's a guy who gets a lot of respect for being the best manager in baseball. And they won the division. And they weren't favored to by any means. Like, almost everybody had them second or third. I also think that the Orioles were so bad the year before, and they were such a cool story. And then the Mariners didn't make the playoffs in 20 years. Like, I don't know what to do here. I I think Hyde will win just because of how far back the Orioles came, but I do not have a good feeling on this. I feel about the same way. Um, in the National League, there's one piece of trivia that I find interesting. Um, that's the only thing that I'm interested in for the National League Man Manager of the Year, is that Buck Showalter is trying to become just the third manager to win Manager of the Year four times. The others to do it are Bobby Cox and Tony La Russa. But if Showalter does it, he will be the first manager ever to do it with four different teams. Wow. He would have more manager of the year awards than he would postseason victories. Exactly. <laughs> Here's a good way to describe this group. Okay. Buck Showalter, Brian Snicker, and Dave Roberts. Here we have three teams that flamed out in the postseason. It's a good thing votes were due before it. I, I should not be so snarky about this award. I just don't know what to do with it. Um, Showalter led the Mets from kind of a disappointing season in 21 to like a 
great season in 22 before they kind of fell short at the end. Um, Brian Snicker, defending world champion, who led the Braves to yet another division title. And also, Dave Roberts led the Dodgers to one of the greatest seasons in baseball history. Again, before the votes were in before the postseason, so it doesn't matter that they didn't succeed. My my question about Roberts is, do you give him credit for sustained excellence for setting like basically an all-time wins record coming close to it? Or do you kind of look at it as, well, yeah, look at the guys on his roster. Like, of, of course he should have done that. I think if the, if the Mets had won the division, Showalter wins this almost unanimously. Yes. Because they finished second, although they ended up with the same record as the Braves, um, I think it'll be, it could be Snicker. But I still think Showalter will win because they still won 101 games. And for 94% of the season, it was like considered like a huge success story. Yes, I agree with you. Okay, on Wednesday, November 16th, we'll have the Cy Young Awards. Uh, in the American League, I think this one, actually I think both leagues, it's kind of a slam dunk. But in the American League, the finalists are Justin Verlander, Dylan Cease, and Alec Manoa. I was a little surprised, I got to say, to see Alec Manoa being the third place finalist. Like, he had a really good year, um, but I, I guess I'm a little surprised that he beat out, let's say, Kevin Gosman or Shohei Otani or, or Framber Valdez. I think, I think I, can predict, I can predict the order of this one pretty easily, right? Verlander first, Cease second. Manoa third. I would be shocked if it's anything other than that. I think that's right. And I, I was, I mean, I was surprised too about Manoa, but then you look at the innings pitched, which I think is definitely a separator for me. And um, I think it's becoming more so for a lot of voters. He ended up with like 198 innings, which is like a big number these days. And also I was sort of surprised considering with young pitchers, teams usually bring like the young pitchers along really slowly and don't let them get to that number. But the fact that he maintained that performance through 198 innings was really impressive, but I think he will finish third, which is, hey, if you had entered the season and told Alex Fanoa you're going to finish third in the Cy Young, Cy Young uh, Award voting, he would have been very excited, as would the Blue Jays and their fans. Uh, speaking of innings, the National League, it's almost certainly going to be Sandy Alcantara. Uh, the other finalists, I want to I want to read to you a leaderboard here, okay? If you sort qualified National League pitchers by lowest ERA, number one is Julio Urias, number two is Sandy Alcantara, number three is Max Fried. Here are your finalists, Julio Urias, Sandy Alcantara and Max Fried, I, I would not have had these top three. And like, obviously they're all great. I would have probably had Carlos Rodon up there somewhere. I might've had uh, Aaron Nola up there somewhere. Cause I, I think you can obviously look at Alcantara and say he threw a ton of innings and like, that's an undervalued skill now. And I'm totally fine with that. Um, but I, I just, I don't know that I could have put Max Fried in the top three, like in the top six. Sure. He had a great year. Would I have put him over Nola or, or Rodon? I, I don't think I could have. I mean, this is definitely a, a, you see whoever voted for this, it was much more of like, I want to say traditionalists, because you look at like Julio Urias and you look at, even if you just glance, even if as part of your, your process, even if you're, if you, even if Fangraphs War is not your be all end all, if you just say like, this is part of my process, I'm going to see where they rank in Fangraphs War, which I think is considered a very good, like quick and dirty method for pitcher, pitcher, um, pitcher dominance. Cause it's based on FIP. Um, and Julio Urias was 24th in, in the majors. Um, but then of course, if you sort by ERA, as you said, he's, you know, in the top three in the national league. And that makes a lot of sense. He also went 17 and seven, which also looks very good on the back of a baseball card. So this is probably more of a quote unquote traditionalist, um, vote. And I'm, I agree with you totally about Rodon. He definitely would have been in my top three, uh, along with, um, along with Alcantara, but Alcantara is pretty clearly going to win. I mean, the innings gap for him is just like, I mean, it's what he had like 23, he had 23 more innings than Nola. And so that's that to me, that's enough to, to, to differentiate it for me. Do you think we'll have two unanimous Cy Youngs? Um, 
Great question. No, I don't. Yeah. I mean, the safe bet is to say no to that question, yes. just in general. But I think I think it'll be unanimous in the National League. I think would be my guess. That's you know what I mean. As someone who's been a long time Alcantara fan and supporter, that would be cool to see. I think Urias is going to by leading the league in the RA is going to sneak at least one vote. Okay, uh, and then on Thursday, November seventeenth, the MVP awards will come out in the American League. Congratulations to Jordan Alvarez on his third place finish in the American <laughs> League MVP vote, because Judge and Otani are one and two. Um, I feel like we have debated this and torn it apart ad nauseum. So I will say two things. One is. Aaron Judge is going to win the MVP, and it's it's not going to look close, even though it is close. Like he's he will be close to unanimous. I will also say this: the only well, there are two bad arguments I will not accept. I will not accept the fact that he got his team to the playoffs while Otani didn't, because we know that's not how baseball works anymore. And I will not accept the argument about Aaron Judge having a historic season, because while it's true. Everything he did has been done before, whereas everything Shohei Otani did has not been done before. So if you want to like vote for Judge because like he was amazing, like he'll win. I totally get it. Um, but I think we gotta, we cannot forget how amazing Otani was, even though the Angels weren't. I think that's well said. Trivia question for you: Do you know how many times a player has? And this is relevant to Judge because he might switch teams. Do you know how many times a, a player has won MVP and switched teams in the offseason? Uh I can't be zero. But you're going to tell me it's two. It's actually three, um, okay. but only only one free agent. It's happened twice with trade. So Alex Rodriguez, Alex, Alex okay. Rodriguez is one. Um, but I believe that was after a trade. It was when he was traded. That was after a trade when he was traded. Texas with, to the Yankees. Te- Texas to the Yankees. Barry Bonds is a free agent in '92 mm. and went to the Giants. And then the other one is Giancarlo Stanton. Um, when he was traded to the Yankees. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So Judge would be the only the second free agent ever to win MVP and then switch teams that offseason. Okay, that's really interesting. And then in the NL, I think this is the most interesting one of any of our races here because you could have probably made an argument for about seven or eight different guys. The finalists here, Manny Machado, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, and Nolan Arenado. I think it's it's clear to say Goldschmidt was the leader in the pack pretty much the entire season. And then I felt like things kind of caught up at the end because he didn't have a great end of the second half. I want to take like one second to credit the other guys you could have thought of here, like Freddie Freeman, Francisco Lindor, Mookie Betts. I think Jay Taylor Muto had like a quietly sneaky case for this. I think Goldschmidt is going to win. I think I could make an argument for Machado. And I, I'm not going to make the argument for him that people will make. The people, the argument that people will make will be that, well, Goldschmidt had Arenado. He had support. Machado didn't because Tatis wasn't there and you know Hosmer wasn't that great. I don't actually care about that so much. Um, I don't think you can go wrong. It's sort of like a three-way coin flip here. But what Machado did was so impressive. And the fact that he plays a much more valuable defensive position than Goldschmidt did, even though he was not as great of a hitter, I would pick Machado, but I wouldn't feel bad about any of these guys. I mean, I actually think, you know, I look at this is like one where narrative comes into play where like Freddie Freeman wasn't even really part of the conversation. I think if Freddie Freeman had stayed in Atlanta and had the exact same season that he just had, he I want to say he probably wins it because he only had 21 homers and that might have been enough to knock him out. But like he would have been in the thick of the discussion and he was an afterthought. I think that's entirely because he signed as a free agent with a team that already had a bunch of stars and people just kind of forgot about how good he was when he finally went and basically had the best full season of his career. <laughs> But it was just like total afterthought because of the weirdness of how he signed and the whole thing. But um, I would have voted for Arenado, I think. Um, I would have had Goldschmidt third just because I value guys who are like more valuable on both sides of the ball. And I think that Machado and Arenado were basically Goldschmidt's equal on 
offense and added more on defense. So oh, I, I disagree with you about that part. As far as as far as offense goes, I mean, if you look at like weighted runs created plus, uh, the two third basemen were identical, and Goldschmidt was pretty far out ahead. Now, now it's like I feel bad because now I feel like you're you're making a compelling case to talk me out of my choice here because. <laughs> If you look at Machado and you look at Arenado, okay, one of them hit 298 with a 531 slug and a 152 weighted runs. The other one hit 293 with a 533 slug and a 151 weighted runs. They were basically the same hitter. And as good of a fielder as Machado is, Arenado is a better fielder. And now I'm realizing I'm just so glad I didn't have to vote for this award <laughs> because Goldschmidt was the best hitter, but he wasn't that good in the second half. And the whole thing's a mess. I think Goldschmidt's going to win. That's where I'll end. Who's going to win? Um, I think Goldschmidt is going to win because there's a little bit of like, again, this is like when the, the little narratives come into play, he's finished second a bunch of times in his career. He's like always done, you know, kind of, you know, always a bridesmaid, never a bride when it comes to MVP. I think that that kind of seeps in a little bit and that will be enough to carry him over and what could be a close vote. There's always the chance that two players from the same team kind of like split the vote where, you know, some, some voters who've watched that team a lot come away with very different impressions of sort of who is the more valuable guy on the team and that could possibly sway it but I think Goldschmidt will ultimately win it'll be very very close we will find out next week each day 6pm on MLB Network the awards will be announced that will do it for this week's podcast don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts if you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions leave us a rating and a review thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast see you next week